Thanks for reading, Byron. Well, it's uh, wonderful to see you all again on this uh, very warm afternoon, so I'm glad we're inside. Uh, I'm excited to get into this new book with you, Acts, together. I haven't preached your Acts before, and it's uh, full of riches, so why don't I pray as we turn and have a look at it together. Heavenly Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. For your son's sake. Amen. Well, uh, just imagine you're chatting with a friend and they begin to explain that life is very busy for them. Work, family, friends, and uh, something you can relate to. Actually, a couple of years ago, I made a little pact with myself that when someone asks how I'm doing, I wasn't going to say busy because I'm always busy. Everyone's always busy. And so I've, uh, I've, I try to say something else now, even if I'm busy. Maybe unless I'm really busy, then I'll still say busy. But anyway, so imagine you're talking to a friend and they're telling you that life is busy uh, and, and that feeling of kind of, it's stifling. They're explaining this to you. There's so much to do. The demands of time seem relentless, impossible. What, what do you say? Well, I think our passage today encourages us uh, to say a particular response. Of course, you, you want to comfort the person. You want to agree But more than just agreeing that it's relentless, you want to say, uh, time has been defeated. Time has been defeated. Time is demanding. We are at its mercy. But Jesus' resurrection proves that it does not have the final say. Someone has conquered time. You want to tell your friend this good news. Jesus defeated death and its demands upon us. Jesus can set us free. There is a great hope. Our passage today calls us to witness, to bear witness to Jesus' resurrection, his victory, his great salvation. That's, that's what the whole passage is. In some ways, that's what the whole book of Acts is about. But uh, let's, let's zoom in a little bit and think about the book of Acts. Our sermon today is going to have a, two parts. Uh, the first is kind of mainly an overview of Acts, uh, and then we're going to think about the life course, and then we'll do the second part and finish off the sermon. So the, the first part, the Acts of Jesus. Um, We're starting a new series, uh, as I said, and it's uh, in a very real sense, uh, the book of Acts is unique in Scripture. I just realized I never gave Matt a sermon thing to tick through. Did you find it? Uh, Or you can tick through. It's just headings. Yeah, thank you. Um, There's just a few headings. Not a big deal. Thanks, Matt. Uh, But as I say, the book of Acts, it it is unique in Scripture. It really is. Um, There are four gospel accounts. Uh, The histories of Jesus, there's four of them. And if you've read one, you've read them all. They're all the same, really. No, that's not true at all. Uh, But there are four gospel accounts of Jesus, uh, but there's only one book of Acts. And Acts explains uh, Jesus' ascension uh, all the way to us, to the Christian church. Uh, Let me put it this way. Um, Where are you in the Bible? If I can put it that way. Where where, where is your history in in the Bible? Because in one sense... uh, Every single page is about you. You are a human made in God's image. Uh, you, we all are sinners. And so every page is about us. It speaks to us. But in another sense, very few pages are about us, are about you. Uh, because we are, we are Gentiles. We are non-Jews, aren't we? We are followers of Jesus. We are Christians. We are the Christian church. Very few pages deal explicitly with that group of people. And so our history book is the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the book about the Christian church. That's us. 
This is where you will find you, the Gentile, the newcomer, the churchgoer, the witnessing to a, to a pagan secular world. This is, you find this in the book of Acts. It, it's, it's a wonderful place for us to be. You might say that um, many of the epistles, like Colossians and the others, they are our, our instruction books, but the book of Acts is our history book. Acts, it's the history of the start and of the incredible growth of the Christian church. It begins uh, right in the beginning of verse 15 with 120 saints and the apostles, and it ends, and there's been incredible numerical growth. The 120 has turned into 10,000 or maybe even 100,000 followers of Jesus. You know, they multiplied exceedingly. Uh, Incredible geographic growth as well. They, they, They began in a small area and then they spread all across the Roman Empire. There were churches all across the Roman provinces. The book ends uh, with the expectation of this continuing. Paul, he there, he's there kind of under house arrest, uh, but he's still preaching the gospel. The spread of Jesus' gospel is unstoppable. His witnesses will witness. The book is uh, it's often called the Acts of the Apostles. Have you heard it uh, described that way, the Acts of the Apostles? Uh, but that's just, I'm going to say that's, that's just plain wrong. It's not the Acts of the Apostles. Luke tells us what the book is about. He says, have a look at verse 1, if you've got it there. Verse 1 of Acts. He says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus. Uh, so the first narrative is Luke's gospel. He says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, all about, or about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And so Luke that the gospel, the book of Luke, was all that Jesus began to do, and Acts is all that Jesus continues to do. Uh, it's not the Acts of the Apostles, it's the Acts of Jesus. Volume 1, Luke, Jesus began. Volume 2, Jesus continued. It's the Acts of Jesus by his Spirit through his apostles and witnesses. That's how the book begins. Jesus um, giving the commission to his witnesses, to his apostles, Uh, to send the word out, to take the word out. So have a look down at verse 8. Kind of get this commissioning from Jesus. Verse 8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. And so God wants his gospel to be preached to all the ends of the earth by the Holy Spirit-empowered proclaimers. And that's where we fit into the book of Acts. The the book of Acts tells us uh, what we are to be as followers of Jesus. We are to be witnesses. Witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. That's our our role, our purpose. The book of Acts, it's the history of how this began and was continued. It began with Jesus on earth in Luke's gospel, and it was continued by Jesus through his apostles and then his followers by the Spirit's power. If you're curious about um, some of the place names there in verse 8, uh, what they mean, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, well, it's a bit of a program. It's a roadmap to the gospel expansion. Uh, Jerusalem, it was to start in Jerusalem. That was the center. And then it was to spread to all Israel, which is what's meant by Judah and Samaria. The north and the south of Judah that was divided. The gospel is to go to both. It's kind of to re- reunite, if you will, Israel. So start in Jerusalem, then all of Israel, and then to all the ends of the earth, to everywhere else. That's the grand vision. And in, in the original writing, it would have uh, been, had in mind the Roman Empire, which seemed like the whole world at that point, but very much was intended 
everywhere else beyond Israel, the whole world. And so that's, that's a bit of an overview of the book of Acts. Uh, but you can see we've already started to think about chapter 1, haven't we? Uh, today's passage. Because the entire uh, first chapter is, is setting up these eyewitnesses uh, to Jesus' resurrection. Those uh, apostles um, who would then give us the scriptures that we read. Uh, they would give us the authoritative account uh, and testimony. And on the basis of their authoritative word, this word from the eyewitnesses, we also then can be uh, witnesses. We can also testify. And that's the plan that Jesus lays out. It's the acts of Jesus, the things Jesus did by the Spirit through his apostles and witnesses. Um, you can see here that Jesus is a very good delegator. I don't know uh, if you've thought much about delegating. It's very important in the business world, in management. Uh, it's one of the most important skills to learn as a manager is how to delegate. Uh, and Jesus is a good delegator. He's not a micromanager. He isn't passively, aggressively sending you emails to check up on how you're going. He delegates his tasks. He gives it to his followers. And Jesus has to delegate because Jesus is not here. Jesus He's on vacation in Bali, perhaps. It's a, it's a working vacation. He's still ruler of the world. Uh, but the point is, he is not here. He gives his work to his followers who have been left behind uh, in the office or maybe out in the field. You, but you notice that you can see it in verse 2 there. So have a look at verse 2. It says, Until the day he was taken up, after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So he gives orders through the Holy Spirit. He's gone now. He's been taken up, and so he gives orders uh, to his witnesses, to those he has chosen. Jesus isn't here, but he gives us his uh, spirit. And that's, that's next week. Next week is the great chapter on the Holy Spirit, the giving of the Holy Spirit. And so we'll, uh, we'll go through that together then. Well, did you notice as well uh, in verse 8, Jesus says to his disciples, uh, you will be my witnesses. Witnesses to What? Well, it's witnesses to the resurrection, isn't it? Verse 3 continues, After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He appeared to them and gave them uh, convincing proofs. Uh, The term means a compelling sign or a strict proof. And the evidence um, emphasizes the physicality of his resurrection. There he was. He was eating food and and appearing to them. Uh, He's saying, I'm back and I've got a body. The physicality of the resurrection. Verses 1 to 3, they're they're kind of a summary of the book of Acts um, and how Jesus is at work today. And uh, and our role in that is to witness to this resurrection, to his victory. And the eyewitnesses testified to the truth of this resurrection. Um, Then by the end of the book of Acts, these eyewitnesses, these original apostles, um, they have all died. They have all um, passed on. uh, And the mantle has been picked up by the other followers of Jesus, by the church. The church then takes on this role and witnesses. And that's what we see through the book of Acts. But I I want to pause and reflect on this incredible moment uh, in verse 3 there. Uh, Just imagine what that would have been like. Uh, Because... (laughs) Jesus, he presents, it says he presents himself to them alive uh, and then he began preaching to them about the kingdom of God. Just imagine what that would have been like. There he is. I mean, I can stand here and tell you about the kingdom of God and uh, you're kind of like, well, you know, 
I don't mind Josh. He's okay. I guess it could be true. I don't know what he was thinking when he bought that shirt, but, you know, maybe some bad judgment, but it, it could be true. It could be true. But now imagine Jesus in verse 3. There he is. He's standing there in his resurrection body. He's standing there alive from the dead, telling them about the kingdom of God, saying there will be a resurrection. There is hope. All the pain and suffering will be taken away. And Imagine how convincing that would have been. There he is in his resurrection body telling you these things. It would have been incredible. It would have been so convicting. When he told those uh, apostles about the kingdom of God in his resurrection body, it would have been incredible. Well, do you know what? We're not meant to just imagine that moment. We're not meant to imagine if we could have witnessed it. We're actually meant to witness about it. We are past the mantle of these original eyewitnesses to witness about the resurrection. And so it's worth considering, when was the last time you told someone, when was the last time you witnessed about the truth of the resurrection, as these apostles did? How badly our world needs to hear this message of hope. They need to know that the stuff around them will not last, but that the kingdom of riches will. The kingdom of heaven will last. The world around us, it so badly needs to know that these broken bodies, which, which never seem to heal, which always seem to die, will always be doing that. They will always be breaking. But there will be new bodies, resurrection bodies, that will be eternal, that will not break. Our world needs to have this witness of hope. The world needs to know that Jesus has defeated death, uh, defeated brokenness, defeated evil and suffering. But who will tell the world? Who will tell the world this great message of hope? Who will Jesus use to tell the world about his kingdom? Well, of course, it's his witnesses. The application from this passage, the so what, the what do you want me to do, Jesus, from this, it's pretty clear, isn't it? It's pretty simple. We are witnesses. We are Jesus' witnesses. Uh, One of the themes through Acts I'm looking forward to exploring with you is persecution because uh, When you witness, you get persecuted, and we see that all through the book of Acts. Uh, The church is persecuted, but that's what happens when you tell people, when you tell people about your great hope. Um, We at Snack here, as a church, we're really keen to help each other do that. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the life course that's coming up uh, a little bit later this year, Uh, but let me be clear, the application from the passage isn't come to the life course. Uh, you, You don't need us, our course, to witness. You can, you can do that to anyone. You can do that to your friends, to your family, to your neighbors. You don't need my help. You've got the Holy Spirit. That's way better than me. Trust me. We as a church, uh, we've put together the, the life nights to try and help you as you look to, to fulfill this commission from Jesus, as you look to try and witness to your friends and family. That's why we run the life nights. So I'm actually going to, um, in the middle of the sermon, do a little announcement about the life course, explain how it's going to work this year. And then we'll come back in a couple of minutes and uh, finish off the last few verses in our passage. When you came in today uh, and you got your little outline, you would have got a bookmark. Um, if you haven't got one, put your hand up. Can I put my hand up, Marcus, and get one? I didn't get one either. No. Um, there we go. I think you've all got them there. And you can see it's got the dates of when we're going to run the life course uh, this year. And if you, if you didn't get to it before, uh, last year when we did it, the life course, uh, some gospel talks across four nights, and there's some tables and people chat, and they ask, answer some questions. It's very friendly, and the idea is you could invite a friend along to it, and, uh, 
and they could come. And you can see there's a name of some friends there that you could consider. And we'll be um, praying for these people at T10 and in our gospel teams. Um, but th- th- this is to try and help you with this commission of, of witnessing. And so we encourage you to look at who the Spirit's putting in your life uh, and be praying and be thinking about uh, how it is that we're going to be telling them about this. Um, do you know the, the last National Life Survey reported that three in ten Australians uh, said that they would attend a church if invited by a friend or a family member? Three in ten Australians said they would attend a church if they were invited by a friend or a family member. Isn't that amazing? Almost one in three Australians. Uh, and, and the most significant reason that they said when they were surveyed was uh, that they would go uh, for what we call a relational invite because they had a, a friendship, a relationship with this person. One in three almost said that they would go. And so imagine that one in three of your friends, if you ask them to come along and hear the gospel, if you, if you have a conversation with them and then get talking about uh, the resurrection of Jesus and say, look, why don't you come along and hear a bit more? One in three of your friends, according to the survey, would actually come. And so this year, um, we're running a life course in uh, Term 2, you can see here at Bexley North, Term 1 in Carlton, Term 2 here uh, on Tuesday. And uh, when we did it last year in the night, uh, we had uh, quite a few uh, night gospel team people come. But a lot of the T10 uh, women, Tuesday at 10 o'clock, the Bible study that women do, they couldn't come, uh, mainly because of the timing of it. Uh, but we really wanted them to be able to uh, see what the life course is about. We want everyone to see what it's about so they can be there and understand, and that way they can feel more able to invite their friends because they know what they're inviting them to. And so we're going to run it at T10 as well. And so the way it'll work is uh, on the Tuesday, we'll, we'll, the T10 people will set up the tables, and then we'll run it there. It'll be kind of a slightly simpler version than the night one, but basically the same thing. And we'll leave all the tables set up, and then in the evening we'll come and run it again uh, for the evening people. So it should be quite efficient. I think it's a, a good plan. Well, I think you get the idea. Do be, uh, do be praying and do be thinking about who the Spirit's put in your life. But why don't we finish off Acts chapter 1. Uh, so we'll go to part 2, and I've got a couple of quick headings to step through the last couple of ideas. You'll see there, uh, firstly, witnessing, not speculating. Looking at verses uh, 9 to 11, because that passage, it, it goes over a wondrous moment. Again, you ha- <laughs> what an incredible, precious moment these are uh, recorded in this chapter. The last moments where Jesus was here on earth. Uh, and it records the moment when he ascended up into heaven and he went up into the sky. And the disciples watched him go up. And then they're just there and they're just gazing. And they're, they're kind of thinking, what now? Do I, do I just wait here? Is he, is he coming back? So this is kind of this great moment. You can see it there in verse 9. Verse 9 says, After uh, he had said this, he was taken up and uh, they were watching. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And in verse 10, we get their reaction. Verse 10, While he was going, they were gazing into heaven. And suddenly, two men in white clothes stood by them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who's been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. And so they surely must have been stunned, just gazing up, mouths open. Uh, And the angel says, he's going to return. But of course it begs the question, when? When will Jesus return? Should I wait here for him? Is he going to come later this afternoon? Do I have time to get some lunch? I wouldn't mind ducking out, but I don't want to miss it. 
So this is the great unknown. When will Jesus return? And Jesus addresses it a few verses earlier in his final words. It's pretty incredible to think that these are the final words Jesus spoke uh, here on earth. Um, the final words, it comes up in a conversation Jesus has in verse 7, where the disciples have asked when, what's the end going to look like? When are you going to return? Uh, and so verse 7 records Jesus' response. It says, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. It's not for you to know, says Jesus. When will it end? It's not for you to know. Um, so it's a great unknown, isn't it? Uh, we do not know when Jesus will return. But there's this interesting uh, interplay between the unknown and the known in these couple of verses. Because the unknown is very clear. The unknown is very clear. But Jesus wants us to live by the things that we know. And so now to the known, there are three things. Firstly, notice he says, the Father has set the times and the periods for the end. We don't know, but we do know who does know, and that is the Father. The end has been set by the Father's authority. You know, a train timetable is set by the authority of Sydney trains, and the cosmic timetable is set according to the authority of God. And then the second known is in verse 8, but you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, which will come upon you, verse 8. So that's the second known, the Holy Spirit. And the third known, you will be my witnesses. We know we will have the Holy Spirit and we'll be his witnesses. And so Jesus has given us three great knowns, three known things that are life-defining, life-changing. The Father has set the end. We have the Holy Spirit. We will be his witnesses. And so live by the things that we know and not the unknown. Don't live life trying to work out when the end will come. Rather, put your head down and use the power of the Spirit and witness. And uh, I don't know if you know people that you can see making this mistake of trying, that they obsess over the end and that they're living by the unknown things. They're trying to work out what's going to happen and before you know it, they're stockpiling food, trying to work out when the end is going to come. They're living by the unknown. We should be living by the known. We have so much to live by here. We know that the Father knows when the end is coming. We have the Holy Spirit, and we're called to witness. Well, let's keep moving through our passage. Uh, On to the final section now. I've called the little heading I have is Man Down. Uh, Because the apostles, they do get on with the task of witnessing. They don't just stand there years later. No, no, they get on with the task. Uh, In verse 13, uh, the apostles are all listed. um, And we're told about Judas, who betrayed Jesus, Uh, And he receives a kind of just reward. Uh, We learn a little later on in verse 18. Verse 18 says, He fell head first uh, and he burst open in the middle and all of his insides spilled out. I should have warned you I was about to read that, shouldn't I? Um, So that's Judas. He kind of gets this just reward. uh, But the point is he's no longer able to be a witness. Remember, we're all about we need these witnesses. Judas was one of the witnesses. But he's no longer there. Uh, He had a a kind of accident, some terminal indigestion or something. Uh, (laughs) But there are two things that are said about this. Uh, Firstly, firstly, the the passage is keen to stress that the betrayal of Judas and his death was all according to plan. Uh, So have a look at verse 16. It says... uh, the scripture had to be fulfilled. You can see it's saying this was all the plan. And then, and then uh, verse 20, there are two psalms quoted which all spoke of this moment. So that's, that's what's going on here in this passage. Um, so that's the first thing. Scripture had to be fulfilled. The second thing it wants to tell us about this is that uh, the 12 apostles need a new apostle. 
The original 12, uh, they are the foundation, and we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, they were to produce the authoritative witness account of Jesus. You know, the policeman, he takes down the, the account of the witness. It's the official record, and that's what the apostles were going to be doing, the official record. And this is the one that we read out in the court transcripts. This was the official record that all future witnesses would rely on. Uh, and, you know, I can say, when I speak to you, I speak about uh, Jesus' death and resurrection with absolute certainty. And I haven't seen Jesus, I didn't see him rise, but I speak to you about certainty, uh, with certainty about these things because I trust, beyond doubt, the witness, the original eyewitnesses. I am convinced beyond doubt that those eyewitnesses saw that and I read their account and I believe it's true. And so I speak to you, I witness to you with certainty, but my witness is based on their account. And so the passage is saying, well, we're, we're one witness short now. Judas is gone. We're a man down. Verse 22 says, it's necessary that one becomes a witness with us of his resurrection. And so another eyewitness has to be chosen. And then verse 21, it gives us the requirements. It says it needs to be someone uh, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So that's the requirement. Uh, in verse 22, there's two people that meet the requirement. We have, uh, and then verse 24, they pray for the Lord's guidance. Verse 26 says, they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias. And so Matthias is the final witness, uh, decided by casting lot of all things. I don't know if that uh, has ever struck you as odd, the fact that they cast lots to decide. I've always read that and gone, what, what is going on there? Well, the casting of lots, uh, you could say that it was the traditional Old Covenant way of deciding God's will. It assumed that God controlled things, even, even the roll of the dice. And so it comes up a few times in the Old Testament. Uh, but I think it's included here because the very next few verses are going to be about the Holy Spirit coming. Things are about to change. The Holy Spirit is going to be the new covenant way of relating to God. And so this is the last recorded uh, incident of casting lots in Scripture, in the New Testament, because casting lots is not the New Testament way, rather the Holy Spirit in us, directing us, will be. And so we see the work of the Spirit in, uh, in an especially intense way all the way throughout Acts, uh, offering guidance. Uh, the Spirit works through his witnesses and the church grows. That's what Acts is about, bringing many people to salvation, enabling them to witness. The Spirit indwells, Jesus' witnesses, and he gives them the knowledge and the wisdom uh, of the risen Lord to them. Jesus is at work through the Spirit in his witnesses. And so it's a great way to end the first chapter in Acts, knowing that Jesus is at work through us by the power of the Spirit. Why don't I pray about these things? Heavenly Father, thank you for these eyewitnesses. That, you, uh, that we may have confidence of the acts of Jesus, who you raised again to life. May your spirit work powerfully through each of us, as it did through them, that your gospel may go out to the ends of the earth, to every heart that uh, does not know the great witness of your victory. Father, open their eyes, uh, open our eyes to who you've put in front of us, to those that need to hear that Jesus is Saviour and Lord of all. In his name we pray now. Amen.